Hey everyone, welcome to episode number five of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. I'm still getting used to doing this solo without my buddy, Dean Guido, but it's been a, it's been a fun ride so far. And uh, I've got today the guest who was originally intended to be my second guest. He was supposed to follow Sohi, but uh, Jordan Syatt was a little busy getting engaged that week. <laughs> about that. And, uh, you know, if it isn't evident from our previous appearances in my social media, Jordan, you're absolutely one of my most critical influences uh, with a lot of things, especially brand, career, social media. I just find that, you know, any listeners, you have people who, the things that they put out there just really resonate with where you are. And that's how I felt for quite a long time. And so it's been great to just, you know, steal your brain for an hour here and there for these podcasts. So welcome back. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. So let's find out more about how the engagement went, because that's like <laughs> recent news. So, I mean, you told me in a text that, you know, hey, not much had changed. And so I was curious about how that all went down. And then uh, just what else you've been focused on most recently? Yeah, fortunately, the engagement went as planned, which was really good. Um, a lot of people have been asking me, how's engaged life? And and the answer is it, it's basically exactly the same as life was pre-engagement. And one of my, my buddies, actually my, my good friend and web designer, everything, his name's Kevin. He was like, yeah, that's one of the benefits of, of living together before you get engaged, which it, it was funny because when we first started dating, my, my fiance was like, yeah, I want to get engaged before we live together. And, uh, for me, I didn't grow up in a house with a good marriage. Like my mom and dad did not have a good marriage. And it was one of the things my mom instilled within me. I mean, she, she knew she wasn't in a good marriage for a long time. And I think deliberately from the time I was young, she was like, always live with someone before you decide to get married. Like I remember that from the time I was like in kindergarten. So for me, it was a non-negotiable and actually it was, we both look back on it now and we're both really, really happy that we waited to get engaged until we lived together because before it's like, I mean, there are some people, I mean, some cultures have uh, like arranged marriages where the first time you meet is on your wedding day. And actually there's a lot of research showing that they're wonderful. Like they, they last a long time. And so it's definitely, this isn't definitely the only right way to do it. I mean, I'm not even married yet. So who am I to talk about living a, a long, healthy relationship? But I do think it's, it's, we're very glad that we waited but until we lived together and gotten to know each other better rather than jumping into it just because uh, we, we thought we, we wanted to, or we thought like it would get a lot of likes on social media or whatever it is. Here's a, you can take the same sort of question, but bring it back a little further. How did having a serious girlfriend change you, your schedule, your career? Because, you know, you're a guy who's known for being a massive content creator, uh, you know, you're creating tons of information. You have a very strong online social media presence, but a lot of it too is you, you record, you have two of your own podcasts. You're a frequent guest on others. You know, you've long been a long form content writer. Uh, and not to mention, you know, for three years, you were traveling around the world with Gary training him, which you've talked with us before about, and now you still do these stints. It's not as intense, but that's still part of it. And then of course you have the, you know, the, uh, the, God, you have your inner circle. And then with Mike, you have the, uh, the online mentorship as well. So how has that changed things? Just having that person in your life all the time. You know, it's, it's, I've actually never spoken about it and it's, it's pretty interesting. So I'll say for the first, for the first 
majority of our relationship, we were actually long distance. We, we did not live in the same state. And so we would maybe see each other once every three to six weeks. And it was only for about one and a half to three days, largely because of my schedule, because I was traveling with Gary and it was very last minute and it was very difficult to have a, like a solid, okay, I will be in New York on these days, or I'll be able to travel to see you on these days. So for the vast majority of the beginning of our relationship, we did not see each other very much, which actually made it easier for me to work a lot just because I wasn't around her and we weren't together. Um, That being said, even once we moved in together, you know, I've, I've had a bunch of relationships throughout my life. And the one unique thing about my fiance is how independent she is and how more than happy she is to see me work. And she, if, I mean, it's so funny. So my, this is the perfect example of how much like she supports what I do. Um, I was just on a trip with Mike Vacanti because we're writing a book together. We're writing a book and basically we're uh, hopefully near the finishing stages of it soon. And we took a trip because I'm in New York, he's in Minnesota. And we wanted to get out of, uh, we wanted to get out of our, our apartments, our tiny little places and just get into one area, be in a hotel and only work on the book for about five days. So that's what we did for literally last week. Make it rolling style. Yeah. <laughs> just like no distractions, just get out of wherever we are. And so we did that and it was great. And we got a lot accomplished, still a lot more to do, but we got a lot accomplished. And um, my fiance's birthday was, was a couple days after that trip. And I made sure that I wasn't going to be, that I was going to be back by the time her birthday. And as a joke, before I got on the flight, I was like, oh, by the way, I'm going to have to stay for like four or five more days. And her immediate response was, do whatever you have to do. I support you. She didn't say, but it's my birthday. She didn't, and I laughed. I was like, I'm joking. Of course I'm coming home. And she was like, okay, but just so you know, even if you had to stay, I'd understand. I was like, that's just, I've never encountered anything like that with, uh, with men or women with any type of a relationship. Um, so I think that sort of is, is a really good backbone to describe how much she supports whatever it is I do. And so if, if I need to work, then she's more than okay with it. I mean, I've got Rico here right now and filming me in the apartment all the time and she's just more than okay with it. And me putting her up on my stories on Instagram, she's always fine with it. She's, she's very relaxed, go with the flow and just goes out of her way to support me in whatever I want to do. She comes across as incredibly sweet on your story. She just seems very, very kind. Yeah. She's always smiling. She's always in, in a good mood. She's, uh, it's funny. Gary talks a lot about like no complaining. Like she literally never complains. I, I, I might've heard her complain four to six times over the last few years. And like, even then that's, that's pushing it. She just never complains. She's always trying to be optimistic and positive. So yeah, she's great. That's, that's interesting. Um, I suppose there's people listening who have had long-term relationships and that's, you know, part of their world and families and kids. And there's people who are very single and can put themselves into their work and, I, I've never talked about my personal life ever online. Uh, there's reasons for that. But I recently uh, got a girlfriend myself. And, you know, I've known her quite a while. We've got a little bit of history, but uh, timing's right. She moved back to the city and, and we get along great. And she's incredibly supportive. You know, she likes spending, you know, we spend a fair bit of time together. But it's been balancing out my life in a, in a very positive way. And for a very long time, 
Now, I, I never mentioned this sort of stuff, but I'll just try to make light of it. But I was in a very complex and, and, and very emotionally abusive relationship with, you know, a, a friend. And, you know, again, there's some complexities to that. It's funny, she actually broke up with me mid-podcast early on once. It was just one of her flare-ups, bombastic personality. I don't mm. want to say kind words, but hopefully people will laugh. But it's an older podcast, and then quite literally, she's been drinking, and she's having a meltdown about something completely ridiculous that has nothing to do with me. And then just I get this message mid-podcast. So oh, man. <laughs> massively stressful and if you go back and you listen you can tell there's definitely something up in that podcast <laughs> I won't, I won't say which one but it's a really really old one but either way uh you know so that was sort of a an unpleasant experience and then it's long out of my life now but i have something great so it's it's a nice feeling and i'm sort of learning that balance between me being a relentless non-stop work 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 all the projects i'm involved in and then making sure there's time for her so it's so far it's been great so it's it's interesting that's you know, awesome that's amazing, man. It's, I think it's different times in your life. There's always, you know, different focuses. And if I'm, I'm glad that her and I didn't really start dating until I was nearing my time up with Gary. Cause if that had started at the beginning, it, there's no way it would have lasted. It, it just wouldn't, it would have been impossible. I wouldn't have been in the right mindset for it. Um, but it's one of those things that the right place, right time, right person, right time in my life. So it was, uh, it, there's always, there's always different times in your life that are really good for different scenarios, but learning to grow with it is, I think, I guess that's part of life. So I, a couple of things I wanted to ask, and I just thought of another question as I go, but I'll, I'll start here, you know, with this change, I mean, it, it's a symbolic change, but we, we went back a little further to the actual change, you know, but it's a long-term plan thing. How does this influence any long-term career plans or ambitions that you have? Because I'm curious, I'm always curious about what someone's end game is. You're already someone who left the gym floor, you know, training hours of people. And I like that. And I don't know if I could really see myself ever not doing it. But you've tried different ventures, some that didn't work out, a lot that really have. You're very big in the online space. So where do you see yourself going from there? And again, you know, how does a relationship potentially affect that? Uh, you know, I, th I think there's a, a number of factors that are really determining my choices and my thought processes. Number one being the state of, of the world right now with coronavirus and, and the election cycle and everything going on, right? There's, there's so much going on. And then also me being in New York, which is still shut down and it's had just this tremendous max, mass exodus, which people are leaving by the hundreds of thousands. Um, for the last few years, the last four years of my life, I thought that I would want to live in New York forever. It's like, I still think it's the greatest city in the world, but my opinion in terms of where I want to stay, to live, to raise a family, that's changed where I want to stay. I, I'm pretty sure that we'll be leaving New York probably sometime in the next year, year and a half once my lease is up. And I think between the situation in the world right now, coupled with also getting engaged, leading to getting married, leading to wanting to have a family is making me think, okay, I'd like to live in a place where I have more land and I can have a home and I can, you know, have good school systems and all this stuff. So um, we're not really sure where we'd like to move yet. We're definitely looking at uh, Colorado as one option, uh, Texas, Atlanta, one of the Carolinas, uh, just obviously way more affordable than New York. And, um, 
for me, we, we both grew up on the East Coast. We both grew up in Boston. We're, we're tired of, of the winters. We'd like to have a little bit more sun and heat year round. So um, right now, I think we're looking to, to get out of, out of the East Coast and more just towards, I guess you could call it settling down is, is probably the, the term that we could use. But um, yeah, that, that's where my mind's at right now. I guess that eventually means, sorry, Gary, but you know, <laughs> Mike, you know, you got to take care of him. At what point, you know, you guys, Mike passed the torch to you. And then I guess we all sort of thought, okay, that there would be a, a new Jordan, someone that would come along. But obviously, you know, I'm sure some aspect of Gary's relationship with you guys, he just decided he wanted to continue on with the guys he'd known and trusted for a long time. But is there going to come a point where there'll be a, a new trainer that comes along and you guys just go, all right, you know, Gary's your problem now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought that when my time was up, there would be a new coach and Mike did as well. We, we both thought there would be someone else and we were both preparing to look for that next coach. And we actually had a number of coaches in mind. Um, then before my time was up, Mike sort of came back and was like, I sort of want to get back into the swing of it. Like I miss it. I, I miss the traveling. I miss the high pace. I miss being around Gary is huge and being in Gary's ecosystem. Um, but I would imagine sometime within the next year to two years, there'll be a new coach. Um, I mean, so lately it's really just been Mike. I actually left a, a while ago. I was just like, I'm done. And Mike went, took over full time. So Mike's been doing it full time. Um, which has been great for me just because I did it for three years straight. And I was like, all right, I'm, I've had enough. So really Mike has taken on the full brunt of it and he's enjoying it. It's been interesting during coronavirus just because they can't train in person. So now all the coaching has just been done via FaceTime every day. They do a coaching via FaceTime, which is, which is wonderful. You don't have to go to his apartment every single day. You don't have to wait on his schedule every day. Just like you get on, hop on FaceTime, do the workout and you're done. And it seems like this will change Gary's method of coaching as well, in which what he's thinking going forward is instead of paying to have his coach travel with him, pay for the hotel, pay for the flight, pay for all this stuff, then just whenever he travels, just do FaceTime workouts. Yeah, virtual has been phenomenal. If he, the client on the, on the other end of the video has a really well-equipped gym, then it really doesn't change anything outside of the fact that you're not there to swap them. Like everything That's, else yep. If you got someone who has very limited equipment, well, that also adds a certain amount of challenge. And that can be fun to be taken out of, all right, we have everything in a well-equipped gym and we have to be a little bit creative. So it stimulates, you know, that part of you that every trainer should still keep sharp. Yep. A hundred percent. And also, you know, I coached Gary for three years. Mike has now coached Gary for a, a total of three or three and a half years. And we know how he moves. He knows what movements we're going to have him do. Like he understands the movement patterns. He understands the technique. He understands what muscles to squeeze and where to brace and all that stuff. If it was a brand new client trying to do this just over the, over FaceTime, I think that'd be significantly more difficult. But when you're working with someone that you've worked with for a while, you know what cues work, you know how to move and they understand your programming. So it works a little bit easier. An experienced coach can probably make it work. An inexperienced coach trying to do virtual with an inexperienced client is probably trouble. Yeah, that's a recipe for disaster. We're seeing this more and more. Like I know Dean Somerset, he's back to because he's at a, a different evolve than I'm at in Edmonton. He's at the downtown one. I'm at the south location. And I know he's back training in person because he, he pulls tons of hours, but he's also doing a lot of his stuff virtual, which he did completely 100% during the COVID lockdown. 
And I mean, I can't even imagine sitting down at a computer for the kind of hours he is doing that with clients. But I know he's had a lot of success with it. Uh, my buddy Chris Cooper has been doing a ton of virtual. And, you know, I, I think Chris is still almost exclusively virtual. He's just doing a ton of it. And, you know, it just shows you can pivot during these times. And I think we've seen, I sort of have a theory, and I believe this is kind of happening. There's sort of three types of traders in the context of what I'm about to say. You've got your, your brand new, relatively, uh, the ones are just coming in or have recently come in. They're still passionate about it. You know, they hadn't gotten too established, though. They're still seeing that there's opportunity for the new trainers. They know they got to work hard. So COVID didn't screw them up too much. And then you get people that you, you and I are certainly in this category, very experienced, very established, established reputations to where, you know, serious people are still seeking us out. And we managed to pivot through it and really surge back strong, you know, now that everything's more or less open back up again, depending on where you are, minus New York. It's the middle tier that we're probably nervous about their income on a good day before all this crap happened. And we haven't exactly had a lot of good days recently. So they're freaked the fuck right out. They're really stressed about income and stability. And I think that particular tier, we're seeing a very large exodus amongst them, which yep. is going to create opportunities for the new and uppercomers, new entrants. And it's really, really valuable to the established people who feel more secure in it because people are coming to seek us out based on reputation and knowing that, you know, anyone who comes to see me knows that I'm going to be doing this for the next X number of years and I'm not just hanging by a thread in the industry and thinking, hey, I better go become a paramedic or something else that you often see trainers pivoting into. So I think if you're someone who maybe listening is feels like, hey, that middle thing is applying to me and I'm a little nervous about this, uh, I really do think you're, you're going to make it. I think you have to work very, very hard right now, but it's only going to get better and better and better. And it just means doing whatever it takes to get to stay busy enough to hang on through this. And it, the mission shouldn't change. It still should be taking great care of the clients you have, building your personal reputation, uh, your referral network, all this sort of stuff. And that stuff will carry you through. Yeah, I agree. Someone DM me on Instagram yesterday, the day before, a nice young guy basically asking, he's like, hey man, with all this stuff going on, do you think it would be a mistake for me to, to get into personal training right now? And it's funny, basically the answer to everything is always, it depends, right? I was like, well, it depends. I was like, if this is what you're really passionate about and this is what you love and this is 100% what you want to do, then I don't think it's a mistake at all. On the other hand, if, if you, this is something you want to do because you want to have a lot of followers on Instagram or you think it's easy or just because you like working out and you like being in the gym, not because you like coaching, then yeah, I think it would probably be a mistake. And his response was to the effect of, he's like, no, no, this is, I'm super passionate about this. I love this. I love coaching. I really want to make it my career. Then I was like, then it's not a mistake to, to go into it. It's not a mistake. You might have to do things that a, a college professor of mine said something to me that was very interesting. It was, his name was Dr. Peterson. He was the only professor that I actually liked in college. And, and he was also very entrepreneurial and he really supported the idea of entrepreneurship and he loved what I was doing when I was in college. But one of the things that he said was he was like, when I first started my first businesses, basically about 90% of the stuff that I did, I didn't like. Right. And then I worked and worked and worked until about 75% of the stuff I did was the stuff I didn't like. 
And then 50% of the stuff I liked was what I didn't like. And 50% was what I do like until he got to a point in which about 90% of the stuff he did was what he liked. And 10% of the stuff was what he didn't like. And he said, there's always going to be some percentage of things that you have to do that you don't like. But the goal is to get to a point in which you can have a functioning business in which the vast majority of what you do is what you really enjoy doing. That's like the ultimate goal. And so going back to this guy, I was like, listen, you might have to take side jobs. You might have to do things that aren't personal training. You might have to do, I don't know, either be a waiter, be a server, be a, be a bar bartender, whatever it is there. You could be like, you could, there are a million options that you could do. You could work at Wendy's, work at McDonald's. There's a million options. Like none of them are, are bad or wrong, but you might have to do something you don't want to do. You might have to live at home. You might have to, whatever it is, live with friends, live on a couch until you get to the point in which you can support yourself doing what you love. And then from there, that's how it progresses. But I mean, I think what a lot of people don't realize about like about me is when I first started is I was either living in my college dorm or living in my mom's apartment and coaching in person for the vast majority of my hours. It's like, if it's what you love and what you're passionate about, it'll all be worth it and you'll really, really enjoy it. But sometimes to get to the point into where you're really comfortable and, and happy with what you've done, you have to do things that are really not necessarily quote unquote on plan. It's more just to keep you moving and keep you going. And that's not necessarily that different from a lot of careers anyway. So yeah, do something that you're, you're drawn into and you're passionate about. And we know that, yes, the average personal trainer, you know, their income isn't a particularly impressive number. But if you're really committed to it and you work very, very hard, you, the, the, the top end tier of trainers actually do extraordinarily well. Right? So it's, it's definitely worthwhile, but you have to be really all in, I believe, in order to, like you said, just do whatever it takes to get established, started out. And then once you get a bit of momentum, you should be fine. And I think especially as the world finds its new, whatever, like I hate the whole concept of new normal and, you know, I don't like, you know, the idea of like everything being fundamentally changed, but there will be fundamental changes to it. So whatever that new way of living is, once you settle into it, if you can build your personal training business within that with a combination of in-person training, virtual training, online training, then, you know, you can do fine if you're committed to it. And I wrote something on this recently. It was an article. I like writing career articles, but it's kind of funny. It goes to this whole, you know, create content and information that is suited to your end user. And yet I like writing career-based stuff, but I don't offer any personal training career-based services. It's just something I enjoy. You actually have a mentorship, so it makes more sense for you to do this. But I wrote something recently and it was sort of challenging this notion that you, you, know, you always see this gatekeeper bullshit. It's like, oh, you have to train for five years in person before you can go on. <laughs> and, and it's always gatekeeper shit. It's always someone who's been doing it a long time, yeah. uh, who's got a very rigid, fixed mindset about this stuff. And it's, oh, it's the way it's always been done. And here's the reality. You know, these new trainers are coming in and they're starting out with online fairly early, if not on day one. Now, yes, I think there's, it's not... They're not qualified yet to do it. We know that, but they're doing it anyway. So we have two choices. We can sort of ivory tower it and go, hey, that's bad. Don't do that. Or two, go, okay, this is the reality. So let's actually like help and create good information, at least so that way they're doing a pretty decent job. So that way the end client is getting a better experience because just by condemning it, we're not helping any clients. It doesn't change their behavior. Not to mention there isn't a single in-person coach who's qualified on day one. I said that too. Shit, yes. Not one single coach on their first day of in-person coaching is qualified. They're not. And I think you could probably use this with every industry. I guarantee if you ask a lawyer 
10 years into their career, what they were like on day one of their career, how they handled their first client, they'd probably be like, oh man, I did some stupid stuff. Same thing with doctors. I mean, doctors talk about this all the time, how like, I think what I'm not a doctor, so I don't know, but from the stories that I've heard, one of the hardest parts of many doctors careers is realizing that there are going to be patients that die on their watch and that maybe it's because of a mistake that they made when they were younger and they are less experienced or whatever it is. It's like, there's no such thing as qualified on day one. And the only thing that you can hope for is that through practice and experiences that you get better. So, I mean, for, if someone asked me, Hey, what do you think is the best way for me to learn in person or online coaching? I'd say in person for sure. But I wouldn't say don't start online coaching just because you're not qualified. I would say, if anything, do both and try to get as good as you can with both. I suspect with the industry, if we focus on, and, and you're a part of this solution, um, creating information that helps online trainers be better at their craft. Again, uh, just had John Jonathan Goodman on the podcast, you know, the Personal Trainer Development Center Online Trainer Academy. You know, they're pumping out tons of good information because John sees this as an important part of the future. And, and John is not one of the voices saying, hey, you have to wait for five years before you can do this. And, and John doesn't care what those other people think. John has got to actually foster education and competency amongst these new trainers coming up. And so I think the whole paradigm has shifted. I think it's just a completely new generation of trainers coming on. I think Instagram is actually one of the major catalysts for this change. And yes, we know that what we're really complaining about is the unqualified Instagram trainers who actually just aren't qualified and whatever, but complaining about them is a complete waste of fucking time too, because that just screams to me, you're jealous, you're resentful, you're worried about what someone else is doing because you're not busy enough. Fuck off with complaining about those kind of people, focus on making you better, and then you'll have enough clients where you're just like, you're not worried about what some quote Instagram influencer is doing, right? And, and ultimately, a lot of the times discerning clients, they're gonna have that experience, realize, wait a second, this is junk, or I didn't get you know my money's worth, and it's just like, you know, someone's stepping into a gym in CrossFit. You can complain about CrossFit all you want, or you can look at the fact that CrossFit gets a lot of people with barbells in their hands for the first time. And then if they decide, okay, maybe this isn't quite right for me, then they end up in the hands of a qualified personal trainer doing, you know, strength training. So if you spend all your time complaining about CrossFit, you know, look and think, all right, because I've had this, people who started out with CrossFit and eventually found their way to me because they wanted something that, well, suited them better. So I, I, more and more, and a lot of the times, I, I say this stuff on my social media a lot, I say it on my podcast a lot, a lot of the stuff is the th way of thinking I've trained myself, because in my earlier days, I would complain about the stupid things in the industry more. And I think there are always a handful of things that are worth holding feet to the fire about, and we can highlight bad practice. But I really have tried to train myself. So I'm not criticizing other people as much as I'm saying, I'm holding myself to a higher standard to not think this way, to not be judgmental, and to not have this negative feedback loop of complaint going on in my mind because I'm worried about what somebody else is doing. I've never seen someone successful. We'll call it, we'll call it successful on social media in the fitness industry who spends the majority of their content complaining. I never like no one that I know in the industry who is very good at what they do and has a large following and an engaged following is spending their time complaining about what other coaches are doing. The, the vast majority of people that I know who are very successful are the ones who are spending their time trying to help people putting out free content that is helpful, engaging. Uh, it will give them free practical advice. It, a lot of the people who spend their time complaining about Instagram coaches or other people they're also the ones to say, like, I don't care about how many followers I have. I don't care how many likes I get. But it's like, if you didn't really care about it, then you wouldn't be posting at all. 
So it, it wouldn't be like, why would you post if you don't care about it? If you don't want to help more people, what, what's the purpose behind your posting? Of course you do. If you could have, if the, you had the choice between having a hundred thousand followers or zero followers, and every time you post either letting a hundred thousand people see and benefit from what you're saying or not, you're going to choose the, the hundred thousand followers every single time. Even if it's just 5,000 versus zero, of course, you're going to choose the 5,000 versus zero because if your goal is actually to help people, then you're going to take the more eyeballs on your work, not to mention all the other potential benefits that come from it. So, I mean, if you really want to help people, stop justifying complaining about people doing things that you don't agree with and just start actually making content that helps people. And I think you hit it there. It's a lot of times people are complaining about things that they haven't done well or they feel like they're struggling with. The example of the, the following. Um, and I've been very open on my social media and talking with you and other people about how like I'm actively trying to grow my following to 10,000 and onward. It was, wasn't something I put much time or effort into before, but I've been having a blast. I've been playing with different, you know, pieces of content, different ways of writing things. And it's got a lot of incredible feedback. And my following has been growing really rapidly relative to kind of how Instagram works now, you know, back in the day where, you know, you pop up an in infographic and then like when you grew yours, you know, and that's not to, to, take anything away from what you did because you have one of the largest followings in what I consider to be the respected fitness industry space. So you did it really well. And you're the one who taught people like Carter Good and uh, Susan Niebergall and others here, hey, do it this way. And then they've all grown really big followings as a result of that. But I'm not afraid of saying to people, hey, I actually care about this. I'm, I'm tracking it. I'm paying attention to it. It's not all consuming, but it's also an exercise in creating really engaging and fun and interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. And it felt really good when people have been coming back to me with the private messages I get, like some of this stuff is actually really positively affecting people. And then, you know, every once in a while something happens where like you've, you once uh, shared and tagged one of my posts and, you know, within the space of like 36 hours, I had 400 new followers, which at the time was 10% of my following. Mike Gizertel has recently uh, twice shared one of my posts on his main wall, tagged me. And between those two, it's like almost 600 new followers in the space of about 10 days. So, and it's, if I, if you've got big, big accounts, like you guys sharing things, that's validating as well. Cause all these followers are like, well, man, if Mike Isertel is like reposting this, who the fuck is this guy? And then, Oh shit, he did it again. Wait, he's on his podcast recently. Fuck man. I got to see who this guy is. I got to follow him. And so for if you're someone who's really working hard at creating it, you haven't necessarily built a big following yet. Yes, those shares are a catalyst. And I think you, you still have to continue to create great content. I mean, nothing matters more than that. But it's also the underlying relationships that you build with people. It's, you know, the fact that you and I have connected through the podcast. And, you know, sadly, this year's uh, fitness conference, we didn't get to go ahead with it. But, you know, you were scheduled as a guest. And, uh, and then Mike, I've had dinner with Mike and attended a bunch of his presentations and, you know, I've gotten to know him really well. He's become a good friend and take every opportunity you can to, to share and find other ways to help other people. Right. Like what, if I, I've talked about this recently, I've talked with Sohi, um, you know, if I ask something of you, I am trying very deliberately to give back as much as I can. Um, and you know, yeah, you're out there, you know, like you're well known in our industry, but even ask you to come on the podcast. I know you'll give your time to almost anybody for anything you're giving like that, but it's still something where I want to make sure that this is such a, a, a fun experience and something that's valuable to you because more people are finding you and getting into your work. And, you know, I'll segue that into, you know, I love, especially your, you and Mike's podcast where you guys are, uh, you know, what's funny is like, I can never remember how to become a personal trainer. I always yeah. try to remember the exact name of it. Sometimes we struggle with that. And it's actually one of my favorite resources to 
both motivationally and to keep things fresh in my mind, but especially when it comes to the, the social media content branding type stuff. Cause I know you do a lot of like basic concepts for trainers as well, but that to me is great. And it's one of only a very small number of podcasts that I listen to religiously that and Luca Hosever's bigger life is, is one of the other ones that I really love. Cause I love Luca's energy and his hustle and, and, and the, he brings on great guests. So I want to make sure that you guys are very, very forefront in my social media. Here's another thing that I, I think, and I know I'm doing all the talking here. I want to hear you think your thoughts on this. Uh, but I know that listeners think this because we instinctively think, well, if I, if I post one of Jordan's things again today and I tag him and he's getting a notification, I'm bothering him. It's annoying to Jordan. Have you ever been annoyed or bothered because someone shared some of your content or tagged you in it? Of course not. Ever. It's like a compliment. Exactly. So, you know, if someone's sharing something of mine, you know, hey, I want you to tag me in it because if you don't actually like tag the, the name, you, the person who you share it, they don't get a notification. So sometimes I stumble on them, but I, I want to say thank you. I actually just want to say thank you to you because you were kind enough to actually think my stuff was good enough to share. So, you know, I always like tagging you in a lot of the stuff that you're pumping out. And just, just to the, the listener, like, don't be afraid. If, if someone, if you keep tagging someone, who you really like their work and they keep ignoring you or like, it's going to be rare that they would do that. Okay, fine. Well, maybe they're not that kind of person, but the overwhelming majority of the good people in our industry are going to be really appreciative. And it, you know, you can, they know that you're doing something positive for them. And you've talked about this before. And I think it was maybe Eric Cressy that you're referring to that you did a lot to share and get his attention and support him. And then eventually that led to a different relationship. And that led to, you know, your internship at Cressy sports performance. That's literally exactly how I got the internship at Cressy Performance. And uh, I, I did a podcast with Pete earlier today. And uh, yeah. we, spoke, we sort of spoke about that. But basically, the, in order to get an internship at Cressy Performance, usually you have to submit a long essay and go through an application process. Then you have an interview. And I had been sharing Eric's stuff more or less daily for the better part of a year and a half when I sent him an email. And I was like, Hey, you know, I, I have about seven weeks free uh, and I'd love to come in and do an internship. And literally his response was like, cool, come in anytime. It's like, I didn't have to go through any of the process solely because I kept sharing his articles and tagging him in it on Facebook. And when I turn around and ask someone to be a, a guest on a podcast, it usually happens because there's some sort of prior relationship with me trying to share their information and, and so on and so forth. So, um, no, I wasn't surprised, but I'm glad to hear you say that, you know, to anyone who's sharing your stuff that, no, you're, you're thrilled to get those tags. And I know you get a lot of them. Yeah. Always. It, no one's ever been upset by someone giving them a genuine compliment. You can get upset if someone's giving you like a contrived compliment or like a, a not a genuine compliment, but to share your work with your audience, that's, that's a real compliment. It's like, you thought my work was good enough for you to share it with the people following you. That's, I appreciate that immensely. So, I mean, it's, no one's ever going to be upset about that at all. Unless, unless, this is the one that gets me, is when they'll like cut my handle off of it. And so it doesn't show that it's actually from me. And then they'll tag me, but in like very, very small, small letters. So they can't actually see that it's my thing. And I'm like, why'd you even tag me? <laughs> that just doesn't make sense. But if you're going out of your way to show people, hey, this is from so-and-so and it was a great piece of content, you should go follow them. Like no one's going to be mad about that. No, I should hope not. Um, and it also, you know, if you're tagging people, so, you know, any, any listeners here, let's say you've got some people in your 
in your world who they have smaller followings and you like what they're doing, but they're not overly well known. Well, share Jordan stuff, but don't just share Jordan stuff and Mike Isertel stuff. Take a look at, you know, what your friends are doing. You know, I mean, I also believe that it has to be really good content. And it has to be something that resonates with you specifically. I mean, you have shared two things that I posted out of hundred things I posted. And it's because those things clearly fit on the things that you put on your social media. Your social media is, it, it's very deliberate. It's thoughtful. You know, you've been doing it a long time. So, but definitely try to share the good work of the people who are where you are at too, because that is how more people find them, right? A lot of people have been doing that with me because my following didn't start out all that big. It's, it's growing, but it's still, it's 5,700 as of today. It's not bad. That's actually not bad. That's awesome. Started out from like less than a year ago. It was like, I think it was like 2,600. So it's actually more than doubled. I'm happy with that and I'm having fun. Okay, cool. Um, but I wouldn't be there if not for the relentless sharing of people who are in the same place I'm in or, or with similar sized followings. Yes, I've gotten the bigger bumps from you and Mike and John Romanello and a couple other people have shared some of my stuff, but by and large, it's going to be the consistent everyday stuff that, uh, you know, the people who are very, very much in the same place or similar place that I am or where I've been recently. Yeah. So you and I talked, um, obviously I had, we had on the, the previous incarnation, uh, the fitness devil, you know, you and Mike were on with uh, together, but then the podcast before that we were on solo, that one was a really good one. We talked a lot about creating, uh, content versus consuming. It actually inspired an article that I wrote that uh, got a lot of traction about, you know, that balance. So you obviously big fan of long form content. You've talked about this relentlessly on your own podcast about how you know, people have this misconception that your big Instagram following is the reason why you're successful. No, it's the opposite. It's all that long form years that people didn't see it. Um, and I just want to make sure I frame this. Well, what are your current thoughts on, you know, fitness professionals and how they should be focusing on the balance of creating and consuming and what they should be trying to create and consume? Oh man. Um, well, if I had, if I had to give advice for what just one type of content a coach should make, I would go long form every single time. I would say if you had to choose between Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, website, articles, YouTube, podcasts, I think the, the number one thing that I'd probably go to is, is website articles. It's just, I just think long form written articles, hold through the test of time. They stand the test of time. They, people, where do you go as soon as you want to learn something? You go to Google. You don't go to Instagram if you want to learn something new. You go to, you go to Google. You type in, type in, how do I do this? How do I lose fat? How do I build muscle? How do I build an online coaching business? How do I get better at writing? Whatever it is, all these different things. Um, the reason I would say website article over YouTube is mainly because YouTube's very, very, very hard to learn. And that's not a reason not to do it, but I think a website is a better place to begin. It's sort of like if I had to choose between a kettlebell deadlift and a snatch grip two-inch deficit deadlift for for overarching generalization and recommendations, I'd say start off with a kettlebell deadlift because it's easier to begin there. And ideally, you can eventually progress to that snatch grip two-inch deficit deadlift, but that's not where we're going to begin. The For me, website articles, long form, you can sit down, you can take the time to edit it. It doesn't have to be on the spot. You can go through, you can research, you can edit, you can go through and research and edit and research and edit over and over and over again until whether it takes you three days or a week or three months, take as long as you want. A video 
most people aren't as comfortable on video from the very beginning. And if they feel like that's what they need to do in order to succeed, then they're probably not going to do it at all. Not to mention, if you want, you could do a website article and then embed a YouTube video within that article anyway. And that would give it like extra SEO points if you want to talk about search engine optimization. But either way, I think starting off with a website, you need a website anyway. You, I know a lot of people who are trying to build their business on Instagram who don't even have a website. Like That's insane. You have to have a website. And I would say go for at least uh, one to two long form articles every month. I think would be your best place to start. Um, another really great place to start would be a podcast. Just get like start talking. Just voice your thoughts and your opinions and your methodologies. The one again, the reason why I think a written article is better than say a podcast or a YouTube video to start is because a lot of times when people do a podcast, even myself, I don't plan it. I don't plan it. Sometimes with Mike for the How to Become a Personal Trainer podcast, we'll, we'll plan it ahead of time. We'll write it out sort of like you would a long-form article. But a long-form article requires you to sit down, plan what the article is going to say, the structure of the article, the different points of the articles, the different subsections of the article. What like With a podcast, it's more conversational in nature. So you might not hit every point as clearly as you want. You might not have it as structured as you could. An article, you want to make it so easy to read and easy to use that they could always go back to it and reference it and know where to look and bookmark it for specific reasons. Uh, A podcast is very difficult in that sense. I think learning how to write a great long form article will help you become a better content creator overall, aside from all of the SEO benefits and everything that it has to offer. But I think that's sort of like the base and foundation of being a wonderful content creator and educator. Um, In the last, the first mm, six and a half, seven years of my career was very much head down, full-time trainer, you know, great local reputation, referral network, but there really wasn't anything outside of like regularly writing on Facebook. So it was the website that was one of the two major catalysts and and writing articles that blew a lot of shit up. And then the podcast was the other one. The fact that Dean asked me, Hey, we should go do this. And those two sort of concurrently led to a whole bunch of, you know, big opportunities and growth and what have you. And to the point where only recently, like I said, the last year I've been paying attention to try to grow, uh, you know, a, a social media following more so. So what my experience was absolutely exactly what you just described. And I know that there's something about quality long form writing that instills prestige and respect from your peers and the up and coming trainer community and, and the, the, the established top tier trainers like nothing else. That's the thing to elevate you in the eyes of other people. And if you care about that, okay, it's not like this bad to care about that thing. I don't think it's the most important thing in the world, but if you're doing it well, that's a bonus to all the other benefits you get from getting that long form content. Not to mention, I think a lot of people, a lot of people shy away from the long form content for a number of reasons, not least of which they have this, this false impression that people won't take the time to read that long of content. And that's just completely and utterly incorrect in every way, shape and form. And, and what I mean by that is, 97% of people will not read it, but 97% of people won't read your most brief Instagram caption either. There are 3% of people who will read every single word that you write. And those are the people that if you only write a very short Instagram caption, that they're going to feel short change. They're not going to take anything out of it. And that, and as a result of that, they're not going to trust you as much as they will trust someone else who spent 
three, six, 12 hours writing this really long article because they gave them way more information. You want to write, you want to spend as much time as you possibly can to write the best, most in-depth, most informative article because not for the 97% of people who won't read it anyway, but for the 3% of people who will read literally everything that you'll put out there. And those are the people who are going to become your clients and your biggest supporters anyway. Where did you learn to edit? Like my resource, the book I recommend that everybody starts with is On Writing Well by Zinzer. Great book. Do you have any other resources or like really foundational things that you absorbed early on that helped you be a good written content creator? So there's a wonderful book. Have you ever heard of the Boron Letters? I've heard of it, but I don't own it. I recently bought some one, so I'm actually going to write this down. The Boron Letters. Rico, is the Boron Letters over there? Could you see? I think it's by the Boron Letters by Gary Halbert, I'm pretty sure is the author. He's a world famous copywriter, just absolutely tremendous. Um, if you read the Boron Letters, basically the, the story behind it is this guy named Gary Halbert. Um, an is that it? Yeah, it's by Gary Halbert. This is it, Gary C. Halbert. Really wonderful book. Basically the story is that he, um, he went to prison. Um, and if I remember correctly, he went to prison because uh, he was so good at selling. For whatever people don't know, copywriting. Copywriting is, is writing, writing that sells, right? And people copyright in newspaper, will copyright on billboards, they'll copyright on, on long form sales letters, on online, whatever it is. And I, don't trust me on this. This is the story that I was told, and I believe it's true, based on someone who was a friend of his, that he got so good at selling and so good at copywriting that he would eventually write things. And I, this is wrong in every sense of the word. I don't know what happened to him, but eventually he started writing and selling things that he wasn't making do on. So he would write sales copy that would sell like crazy because he was so good at it. And then people would write in their order forms and he wouldn't send them whatever it is they ordered. Like it just, he didn't have the actual physical product. This is before social media existed. This is before anything. It was like literally like he would write an ad in a newspaper and he'd say, Hey, send in your order and then I'll ship it to you. And he just didn't do it. And so he went to prison for that. Um, and from prison, he wrote his son bond these letters and these letters were designed to teach him how to become a great writer and a great sales copywriter. But if you read these letters, you'll see a lot of my own personal writing style derived from that. It's very, it's the most concise, brief, effective form of writing I've ever read. In a single word, you can get across so much emotion. And you'll see in a lot of my writing, I leave a lot of white space on the page, whether it's on Instagram, whether it's in an email, there's a lot of extra white space. I don't feel the need to have big, chunky paragraphs. I feel like a lot of times you can get across with one, two, three, or four words more from that than you can in a whole paragraph. Oftentimes, because people won't read a whole paragraph, they'll skim it. Whereas if they just read four words, they'll get a lot out of it. So I've modeled a lot of my writing off of Gary Halbert and those specific letters, which are just tremendous. And I strongly recommend everyone get it. But even Aside from that, I think the best place that I've really learned how to be a better writer and how to edit is by reading people whose writing I admired in the fitness industry. So I will say that did also cause some problems. I mean, when I first wanted to model myself off of Eric Cressy, 
you can read in 2011, 2012, 2013, my articles were essentially me trying to be Eric Cressy. It was me trying to sound smart like him and use big words like him. And that set me back. That being said, I mean, you'd be hard put to find a single spelling error, grammatical error in any of Eric's work. And that's, that's one of the things that carried over to my writing is if you look at the number of drafts I have on an article before I hit published, there's well over a hundred because I've just spent so much time going through and editing and editing and editing and editing. And then I'll go on other people's websites and I'll see spelling errors all over the article and grammatical errors. And it's just hard, it's formatted awfully. And it, if it's hard for them to read, then they're not going to be able to read it. They're not going to get the most benefit out of it. So I think if, this is why writing articles makes you such a better content creator in general, because inherently you are required to put more effort into it. I take pride if I send something off to one of my editors and they don't change a damn thing and they publish it. That's Absolutely. I do that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I didn't realize it right away, but I actually went back and looked and you have actually got a couple of articles on T Nation. You do. <laughs> um, but I know you weren't a regular contributor and clearly didn't prioritize. You could be all over there if you wanted to, but, uh, writing for T Nation is fantastic because the editors there will really chop it to the guts. And, and a lot of people want to write that very, very technical language, but they actually want something that's very straightforward and simple and accessible. And you learn that very, very quickly. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's a good exercise if you ever get published is to try to learn and study as much as you possibly can about very concise writing. You know, you mentioned copywriting and I think a lot of people kind of get like, ooh, copywriting, sales, like it's a bad thing. And then they don't go and try to study or learn it. But I agree with you. I think that learning copywriting is probably one of the best ways to just be a good writer as a whole. Because all writing is trying to convince someone of something. Uh, I'm trying to remember, what is it? To sell as human. Is it Daniel Pink? I think it's a, pretty sure that's the, the name of, that's the book. And I think it's the author. To sell as human. And I'm pretty sure the author is Daniel Pink. That's another really good book on, on writing or on, on certainly on selling, uh, not on writing. And then a couple other books that I actually just picked up a couple in the mail. It's Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. Mm, okay. And, uh, and then Elements of Style, which is a mm. So I haven't actually read either one of them. I, I want to. Um, I mentioned On Writing Well. There's a book. It's a bit more advanced if you're really serious about writing. It's Kurt Vonnegut's Pity the Reader. Uh, him and his uh, student... Uh, it's it's McConnell. She's the one who puts it all together, but it's a lot of a collect collected uh, things that Kurt Vonnegut said over the years because he was also a teacher of writing. So I really like that book. And then uh, you know Joey Percy, I think, right? Yeah. Yep. So just Joey's in New York. So Joey has written a book. Uh, what is it? Why do you hate? And sometimes I'm terrible with book titles. I look at this thing. Um, I yeah. think it's Why do you hate making money? Yeah. Why do you hate money? And oh, Joey's, great. Joey's probably one of the best resources in the industry to study and learn about copywriting. I mean, he's a professional copywriter. The sort of the Bible of, of sales copy in, in my mind is the ultimate sales letter, um, which is it's when I was really getting into copywriting in 2015, 2016, a little bit of 2017, this was the book that anytime I was writing, I always had it open next to my computer. So I'd keep it open next to my computer as I was writing to sort of go through because it's the most practical book that I've ever found on copywriting and it's just the best by far. And, and sort of to go back what you were talking about before is all writing is selling. You're essentially, you're trying to sell the reader on reading the next sentence. Every single, every single time you write, if you don't sell them on 
on the current sentence, then they're not going to read the next sentence. They're not going to buy into it. They're going to stop reading. So learning how to write in a way that sells, it doesn't have to be that makes you money. It's just, it's, you're essentially, you're buying their attention, right? That's really what it is. And, and by learning how to be a good writer, you learn how to keep their attention and to get them to essentially keep investing in your writing. If you write a social media post, you are trying to sell that person on, you know, to get shared, the person who sees that isn't your follower, you're trying to sell them on the action of following you. And exactly right. Follow and engage in your work. It applies everywhere in our industry. Uh, you know, any communications you have with potential clients or current clients, ongoing clients, you are selling them on the idea of the next renewal of buying training from you. Your, your email communication, your text communication with these people is all incorporates that. And we take that for granted, just, you know, how you structure the way you talk to someone in a text message, but it matters. hundred percent. Absolutely. Are you good on time a little longer or you got a hard stop soon? Cause we've been on an hour. I don't want to tie up any too much more of your time. You let me know. No, I'm good. So we've kind of dug into a lot of the stuff that I had you know, planned and thought of. Is there anything else that's sort of forefront in your mind right now in terms of industry philosophy, direction, or things that, you know, you know how we get these messages in our mind that we sort of like are trying to convey to our audiences. We, we have themes. After our last uh, solo podcast, I was really on that, you know, consuming less and creating a lot more. And I thought that was really important. So what's sort of on your mind right now that you're trying to share with the world? Man, I mean, personally, in, in my like own personal world, it's jujitsu. That's <laughs> like all I think about at this point in time. Um, but I had an interesting discussion with Pete earlier, Pete Dupuis who's the co-owner of, of Cresty Sports Performance. And we sort of had this discussion around, um, should you follow your passion or should you follow what you're really good at? And the discussion sort of in, in, in my experience sort of came down to like the way that I've done it is my passion just so happened to be also what I was really good at. I also feel like generally, not always, but generally that tends to be what happens, right? People like what they're good at, right? It's like, it's why men tend to go more towards strength training and women tend to go more towards yoga. Women tend to be better with flexibility and mobility and men tend to be better with strength just on general spectrums. And lately it's been great to see more women getting into strength training. Men haven't really gotten into yoga as much lately, women but like lower body training more and men like upper body training. A hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's because, you know, if, if you find that you're not as genetically gifted in something, you're probably not going to enjoy doing it as much. It's not going to be as fun. It's why very quickly I, I learned in elementary school that I hated math, not because math is bad, but because I sucked at it. I was like, I was terrible. When we were doing these like times table races to see who could finish first, I was always last. So I was like, screw it. Math sucks. I'm not going to do it. It is like, so generally speaking, I think a lot of people have this thought, like, should I go after my passion or should I not? It's like, for me, based on my experience, if you're passionate about something, it sort of goes into the, the topic around if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, which I don't agree with at all. I think if you love what you'll do, if you, if you love what you do, you'll work harder than everybody and it'll just be worth it. I think that's really what it boils down to is if you're only going to do something simply because you're good at it, but you don't love it, you're going to burn out way more quickly. But if you, if you do something that you love, 
that you're super passionate about, then you'll work harder and you're, you'll, I'm not going to say you won't burn out, but the rate of burnout will be much slower. I, I think after a certain point, burnout is inevitable in almost anything. I, I just, I just think it is in some people. I think one person who, who hasn't burned out is Louis Simmons, right? He's like the ultimate guy who, who has not burned out, but he's just an anomaly. He's just a power lifter through and through from the time he was 12 years old and he's over 70 now and he's still lifting over 700 pounds. Most people are going to burn out at some point. And I think one of the things that we notice now with the way culture and society and social media is, is we see people changing careers now way more than they did before because they're seeing more options available to them. So I, I think, I don't even know where I'm going with this other than follow whatever you're passionate about. If you're like, that's why I think what you'll start to see from me over the next few years is you'll start to see a lot more jujitsu content from me. You'll start to see a lot more stuff in, in mixed martial arts and fighting. Like I've already started to get myself into that world pretty significantly. And uh, it's because that's what I'm the most passionate about right now. Uh, I was going to ask, have you ever uh, crossed paths with my friend Jeb Stewart Johnston? He's in New York as well. I mean, New York's I'm not, he's a big jujitsu guy. Uh, really passionate, smart fitness professional. Um, he's part of the Stronger You sort of collective of coaches. And yep. he's been around a long time. He's, he's written for, you know, muscle and fitness and any number of other things. Just hasn't blown up, you know, as a big brand name. But someone that I actually think you'd really like, and he's, a, he's passionate about jujitsu as well. I know Mike Isertel's big into that stuff too. And the idea of grappling with Mike Isertel is just a terrifying idea. Oh my God. I could not imagine getting on the mat with that guy. Well, he, he argues that, you know, just because of his sheer muscular bulk, he's not necessarily that effective, but it just, it, it's going to be awful if you are, you know, in his weight class, unless you're a very goddamn good grappler. <laughs> the second thing I was going to say is, so I pulled this book out of the bookshelf. So uh, I haven't actually launched them yet, but I am going to start putting these, uh, these podcasts on video. So anyone who's seen this, but I have the book so good, they can't ignore you by Cal Newport in my hands. I love Cal, great author. So he talks about what you were talking about, this whole myth of following your passion and i think to summarize the book he tends to emphasize you know we, we end up in jobs we end up in careers and if anyone listening because i've been in this position if you end up doing something and over time you find passion within it because you are skilled at it you're doing something you're very very good at and this is why a lot of people who are in trades or other things that aren't the fitness industry uh, they really find their work rewarding and fulfilling they're very very good at it and he argues that the whole the the message of follow your passion isn't necessarily very good advice. And, and I think you Interesting. Yeah. felt the same thing. And when I came into fitness industry, a lot of people look at me and I, you know, I've always been a big muscular guy. I've always liked, you know, I never competed as a bodybuilder, but I always like quote bodybuilding working out, but I fell into the industry. I was asked to be a personal trainer off the floor of this gym. I used to work out at, and I said no a few times. And eventually I said, okay, fine. You know, I, I don't know if I've ever said this, but I was actually a, professional poker dealer, a very world-class poker dealer. No way. And, and, and poker manager was a casino. And I never was a player. I never enjoyed it. But, you know, I developed a passion for being good at that. But I also found it, it wasn't necessarily a very rewarding career. So I was looking for a change and I fell into personal training. The first little while I was overwhelmed with it. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to be any good at this. And over time, you know, I got busy fairly quickly. I developed the ability to get referrals and take good care of my clients. And I, and I educated myself fairly relentlessly. But it, it wasn't immediate that I felt the kind of passion and love for it that I do now. I enjoy mm. it. But that passion grew with time. And I absolutely am not someone who followed my passion. I am someone who found a passion within what I fell into. 
Mm. So, you know, I, I hope that people sort of take that lesson and well, fuck, make it, make of it, make it, make it their own and however it applies to them. Yeah. I, I think it's important. It's like, there's no objective right or wrong answer with any of this. It's more like the more ideas that you can get and hear from other people who are doing what you want to do, hopefully it'll help shape the, your thoughts and help you push and progress forward. Cool. I really appreciate your time. I don't have any other like burning questions in the top of my head. And you, you and I usually can talk for a long time, but you know, I know you got important stuff you got to get to and, and the fiance and all that. So uh, <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on. You know, I'll give you a last chance for any other sort of thoughts. And you know, I just want to make sure that everybody hears me say how much I appreciate the feedback I've been getting. I've been asking you guys to message me on Instagram. Uh, you know, if you're not following me, you're finding this maybe one of the first times you ever listen to this, you know, check out my account. And, and if you like what you see then, and I've earned your follow, I would love it uh, at Andrew Coates Fitness. Right? Just keep it simple. And if you're that person who, you know, oh yeah, I should review the podcast or should, should review the podcast. Well, you know what? actually take the time to do that. I recently, like I'm a podcast lover, but I recently said, shit, I haven't reviewed your podcast, Lucas podcast, Pete's podcast, Mish is another one I really love. And so I, I went and I actually made sure I did these, uh, these five-star reviews and wrote up a little something. And, you know, I posted up on social media and tagged it and shared you guys so that way people can see these great podcasts that I like. So, you know, a review would be really appreciated. And if you haven't checked out Jordan's podcasts yet, go check those out. So you've got the you know, obviously uh, how to become a personal trainer with uh, Mike. And then the other one is the mini podcast, right? And that one's yeah. more about, uh, you know, nutrition. And that, that one's a bit more geared towards the everyday enthusiast versus the fitness professional, I believe. Yeah, that's basically where I'll, I'll get on the phone with a bu- like my inner circle members. We'll have an hour call and whatever they're struggling with or trying to work through will. So it's basically doing a coaching call that people can listen into. So it's been, it's been really fun doing that. The whole reason the podcast started is because I would be doing coaching calls with clients. And then I was always like, man, I wish these could be recorded because I guarantee these would help. I was having the same coaching call over and over and over and over again. People struggling with food and with binge eating and going out that coming weekend or going on vacation and not sure they didn't want to ruin all their progress. And I was saying the same things over and over and over. And no one believed that everyone else was struggling with the exact same stuff. And so when I figured out that I could record these calls, then it really blew up. And I think it's one of, been one of the coolest things about that podcast is seeing how many people message me saying like, I literally felt like you were talking directly to me, which has been great. And it just goes to creating more content because you have said numerous times on podcasts that, you know, you'll, you'll spend a day and like you'll get a bunch of people and give them your number and then talk to them and look at all the great content you're getting out of doing something else that's constructive as well right people are wondering like how do people like you or you know fuck it, a guy like luca house of our you know or eric cressy's legendary for content creation where do you guys find the time for all this crap how am i doing all the stuff i'm doing my career between a, a podcast writing uh, the conference doesn't take any work this year and my full-time training schedule it's because you try to overlap this stuff as much as you possibly can yes so, if you're struggling to create stuff, well, first of all, I, I, you got to get started. Like seriously, don't, don't be worried about what anybody else thinks about it. And I've said this a few times on my social media, like why are you worried about disappointing or the, or the, the people who don't like you, but follow you, the kind of the ones that want to see you struggle. I want to disappoint those motherfuckers. I want to <laughs> it in their face every single day that things are going great. That, that's a side thing. It's not my primary motivation, no. but I don't want to disappoint the people who love what I'm doing who it's helping them, you know, my clients and all these other people. So if you're 
feared into not sharing your ideas. And every personal trainer, every coach has ideas. You're just scared that, oh, who would listen to what I have to say? Honestly, there's already clients working with you. They're interested in what you have to say. You've got people in your immediate universe, you know, who are not following you. They're not following Sohili. They're not following Mike Isertel. You, this trainer, most of the people on your social media that you know personally, you are their go-to fitness resource. So right. don't worry if Jordan has said something very, very similar on his social media before. You say it in a way that resonates with those people and you're helping those people. And I think a lot of people are just afraid that, oh, it's all been said before. Yeah, I mean, it's never been said in your voice and it's never been said to your audience. Exactly. So yeah, so go check out Jordan's podcasts. And well, I mean, just if you're not following on social media by now, I mean, Jesus Christ, come on, like just, just go follow <laughs> it. It's a drop in the bucket for your following already, but uh, there's a reason why you have so many people is because you create great engaging stuff all the time. And I know you're more recently talk about being more active on TikTok. So you've been pushing me to do it. Uh, girlfriend might help me with it. I was kind of waiting out to make sure that they didn't fucking cancel TikTok. <laughs> and I was so busy with so many other things. I'm like, you also have to make decisions about what you're going to put time into versus Correct. not. Now that I have the help and, and if I can learn it, cool. But I've been really on my Instagram game. So that's where I want people to find me. Go find Jordan. If you're, if you're a TikToker, he's not doing song and dance. It's actually good. <laughs> it is information. Go check out his TikTok. And uh, is there anywhere else that you want people to find you? Your YouTube shit. Yeah. I mean, Google my name. If you Google it, Jordan Syatt, you'll find, you'll find whatever you want. Beautiful. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate it. And uh, I always have this fun where I'm reaching for the recording button and have this awkward little pause at the end. So we're going to stop recording. Have a great day.